Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, our gift to you every single week. This podcast reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's within. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars and entrepreneurs on the planet so they can be your teacher. And remember, please, this podcast is not about high achievement or high success. It's about high happiness, high self-worth and taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy and understanding. And before we get going, I just wanted to let you know that I had um, had a cool little experience this week, actually. As you know, Lotus Cars are the founding partner of the High Performance Podcast. If, like many people, you're totally new to High Performance, we started just before the pandemic hit, actually, um, back in early 2020. And lots of people say, oh, you know, you must have got your podcast out so quickly when you realised we were going into a pandemic and that people, you know, would, would need some positivity in their lives. The truth is that, you know, we, we didn't like anyone know that was going to happen. And actually, it was way back at the end of 2019 that myself and Damien got together and went and recorded the first episode. And it was at that point that we needed someone to help us out because, you know, it costs money to create a podcast and deliver a podcast. And we had no way of showing people what we were offering. And I spoke to Lotus Cars. I live in Norwich, just a few miles from the Lotus factory. And going to see Lotus and explaining what high performance is and why we would love them to be a founding partner and help us to fund creating high performance. They put their hands in their pockets and with no real idea of what they were getting into, they stood by us on high performance. It's something that we will never forget. And we're so proud to have them to this day as our founding partners. And this week I had a chance actually to go up and have a look at the Lotus Amira coming off the production line at their factory in Hethel. And I'm telling you now, you walk into the brand new facility they've built, especially for their latest generation sports car. And it is high performance. All the cars are moving around on these cool little robots. They are sitting there like the precision with which the cars are sitting in alignment was unbelievable. And I was with Matt, who's the the MD of the business. I was like, please, can I take a photo? He was like, no. But I tell you, if I could have taken a photo, I would have done. And I would have shouted to the world about the sort of things that Lotus are doing. Um, And if you want to find out more about Lotus, their plans for the future, their plans to go all electric in the future as well, then just check out lotuscars.com. Anyway, it's now time to let you know what you can expect in today's episode of the High Performance Podcast. We're speaking to a man who works in the world of football, but as always, this is not a conversation about football. Here's what to expect on today's episode of High Performance. Developing talent is completely different from perhaps what the common person might believe it to be. It's important to go slow. It's important that everybody understands individual journeys to the top look completely different for every footballer that's playing in the Premier League there's a completely different story most of those journeys are full of setbacks struggle um, trying to work out complex situations to try and simplify them in your mind it's really messy I have to prepare young people for if they cross the white line at Old Trafford nothing presents itself on their debut that they've never seen before so they've got to know what it's like So I've worked with loads of young players over the years, tall ones, short ones, fast ones, slow ones, passers, dribblers, warriors, all sorts. The one thing that they all have in common is character. At the the heart of coaching is connection and love, all right? In order to help someone be good at something that's really difficult, 
we've got to have absolute trust, have absolute connection, and there has to be love. And that you don't turn that off just because someone leaves your football club. So that that love goes on. So on this episode, we welcome Nick Cox, the head of the academy at Manchester United. Manchester United, the football club who've won the FA Youth Cup more than anybody else. The club who've promoted youth more than anybody else. A club whose entire history and legacy is built on promoting and developing youth. So why is this such an important conversation for us to put out right now? Well, actually, one of the reasons why I wanted you to hear this conversation is because we're releasing this, obviously, two days after Manchester United have not just lost their second game of the season, but have been roundly, squarely beaten by Brentford. So obviously, everything at Manchester United is now considered to be a disaster. But actually, the way that we like to look at things here on High Performance is that, yeah, there are some parts of Manchester United that are a work in progress. But football is either heaven or hell. It's one way or the other way. There seems to be no room for nuance anymore, but there is nuance in football. And the nuance at Manchester United is that while the first team may well have their issues, the way they promote youth, the way they work with young players, the way they inspire young people is the best, not just in the UK, but is the best in the world. And you know, the biggest asset to Manchester United is you, the Manchester United fans. You are the single most important thing at that football club. And at the moment, you have every right to be unhappy with the way that things are at your football club. But I also want you to hear this. I think that you need to hear this. And I'm not saying you should be less angry about the way that some things are happening at United. But I'm saying what you don't need to do is think that the whole football club, top to bottom, is rotten. Because I've seen people say that in various media outlets for the last few days. Listen on this podcast to how much Nick cares. Listen how much his team cares. You need to understand that there is still a huge part of Manchester United that is being run in a world-class way. And the other reason I want you to listen to this episode is because we don't talk really about football. This is a conversation with a man about inspiring young people, about getting to the heart, not the head, of the next generation. It's about the importance of empathy, of understanding, but of also setting standards and letting young people know what is required of them. This was such an interesting conversation, and I know it's going to be so helpful for teachers, so helpful for parents, so helpful for anybody leading a team. I just think it's a really valuable, insightful episode of the High Performance Podcast. And this episode is proof of what we're all about. It's not just about chasing the biggest name at Manchester United. It's not just about saying, give us Ronaldo or Ten Hag or nobody. It's about telling the truth. And the truth about Manchester United is that their youth academy setup is unrivaled and you're about to find out why. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Performance Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's start as we always do. In your mind, what is high performance? So I think that it boils down to people and relationships. Um, I think the whole of high performance hangs off that as a as a core pillar. Um, as groups of people, I think um, there needs to be a common purpose. People need to know what the vision of a beautiful future looks like and how they can be part of it, how they can contribute to it and how they can write their little piece of it. And I think as individuals within a group or a team, people just need the space, the time and the encouragement to have a go, be creative, mess up, fail, fix, um, master new skills. And they need the, the support and encouragement to do that. I don't think it's a constant state. So high performance for me is occasionally in my career, windows of alignment where there's flow and it feels good. Everyone knows their purpose and their place and there's a nice rhythm amongst the people but the majority of your time you're either building towards high performance or you're rebuilding why would you be rebuilding well you've either won and you need to win again or you've lost and you need to find a way of winning or the context has changed or the challenge has changed but quite a lot of time it's messy and it's not perfect and it's uncomfortable and it's difficult and you're just building towards this sense of of flow and for me high performance people who've been involved in it people who have experienced it they end up talking about how they felt the connections they made the memories they had the experiences that they that they created or that they shared with with other people so in terms of me trying to develop young people who might be footballers the obvious tangible measurement would be how many debuts have you contributed towards Manchester United or wherever it is that you happen to be working? That's a pretty cold, soulless measure of success. The real measure of success has to be, are we changing lives? Are we creating experiences that are an amazing addition to childhood years? Are we changing lives forever for the better? And the byproduct of all of that is we got some debuts. Never we're trying to create debuts. You've got to have a higher existence. You've got to have a greater purpose than just the thing that you're setting out to be good at. But what fascinates me about your role though, Nick, is that I fundamentally agree with what you're saying, but you're delivering that message to people that really don't want to hear it. So I can imagine that like that Michael Calvin stat that from his book, Hunger in Paradise, that what is it? 0.1% of those kids will make it as footballers, but all of them enter thinking they will. They're not entering it thinking they're going to be better human beings. They're entering it thinking they're going to be Manchester United's next centre forward. Your bosses, the owners of the club, are thinking we're pumping millions into the academy because we want the number of debuts. So how do you have that conversation where people don't really want to hear it, a team? I think you have to understand that this the wholesome approach that I take 
about developing the whole person and making sure that the skills that people learn along the way are transferable and will set you up for adult life. I think a lot of people hear me say those types of things and assume, oh, what he's doing is he's setting them up for failure. So this is the safety net. If we can learn some skills and we can have a nice time and we can, I don't know, become better teammates and be good at communicating, that's setting them up for in case they fail. When I look at it the other way, I think all of those skills are actually giving you a greater chance of being a success. So the greatest footballers I've ever seen are really wholesome, rounded, robust individuals who are more than just a footballer. So I think that's the first point, is that we're not going to do all this stuff in case you fail. We're doing all this stuff because it gives you a greater opportunity to succeed. But you're right, parents necessarily don't want to hear that, hey, this is really difficult and it might not work out. Parents, that's not an easy message to hear. I'm quite cool with kids being single-mindedly focused on something that they want to achieve. Who am I to tell kids not to dream? Kids do play in World Cup finals. Kids do play in Champions League finals. And if someone wants to tell me that's what they believe they're going to do, then not my place as an adult to say, you're not going to. It's for me to say, hey, amazing. I'll, I'll help you if I can. What do you think we need to do together to help you get there? But with parents, potentially you have to be a little bit more realistic about the journey here is going to be not as straightforward as perhaps you believe it's going to be. So for me, there's a lot of myths around talent. There's a lot of perceptions as to what success or um, the building blocks for success look like. And the reality of success and the reality of developing talent is completely different from perhaps what the common person might believe it to be. So share some of those myths and then help us shatter them, if you will. Um, so I think, particularly in football, people think you've got to start really young, that it's a linear journey that you've got to be the best player in a winning team every week and that whatever you do has got to look as quickly as possible it's got to look like professional football and you people are in a race to get there and that's what it looks like that's what most parents bring their kids to me to say can you do that to my oh, son by the way please? you see it all the time so i have a six-year-old just got into football I walked out into the garden with him the other day and he walked out and he did this and this will only work i suppose if you're watching on youtube we walk out into the garden he's six didn't know anything about football like three weeks ago. It's the new thing. Walks out of the garden and goes. <laughs> For those of you that are listening to this, he crossed his chest and lifted his hands up to the sky and because he's watching professional footballers. And who does he want to be? He doesn't want to be a kid learning a process or a young boy on a journey. He wants to be Harry Kane. Well, I should say Timo Pukki because he's a Norwich fan. And that's a challenge for you isn't it, that they see the end goal and you're trying to make them realise that actually it's the process, not the end goal. Everyone's in a race. They want to get there quickly and they want it to look really professional and they want their kids to be exposed to the same stuff that they see on the TV. Talent, pathways, they don't look like that. They're messy. It's important to go slow. It's important that everybody understands individual journeys to the top look completely different for every footballer that's playing in the Premier League there's a completely different story most of those journeys are full of setbacks struggle um, trying to work out complex situations to try and simplify them in your mind it's, it's really messy so most parents would want to see their child be the best player in a winning team on a weekly basis alarm bells ring for me when I see young players who are the best player in a winning team on a weekly basis. Why? Because that's one of the many experiences that you need to have. So actually, where does learning take place? Learning takes place in struggle. Learning takes place in a state of 
challenge, right? So sometimes you've got to be in a winning team but finding it really hard or the best player in a losing team or you, you've got to see it all. I have to prepare young people for if they cross the white line at Old Trafford, nothing presents itself on their debut that they've never seen before. So they've got to know what it's like to win, to lose, to play with 10 men, to play against 10 men, to be a goal down, to be on a yellow card, to be going into extra time. They need to have seen all of that. So my job is to say, yes, sometimes you need to be the best player in a winning team because you're going to build some confidence and, and you're going to um, it's going to be really motivating for you. But sometimes I've got to make it too hard for you and I've got to put you into a, a place where it goes wrong. So now we know the limit of your capabilities and that helps us go back to the training pitch to go, now we know what we need to work on. So for, for me as a developer, I learn more about young people through the struggle than I do through the success. And actually it's the struggle that helps you refine the approach you're going to take on, on the training pitch. So that's a hard thing to get across to parents. I just want my son to be picked every week. I want him to play. Well, no, part of the process is to understand what it means to be a substitute because every footballer is going to not get picked at some point. So you have to have practiced that. So I've got to show you what that looks like. Um, so it's it's the tension between stretch and consolidation. So for a period of time, you've got to be stretched where you're going to find it really hard. And then I've got to make it easy again where whatever you learn in that challenging environment, you can now express yourself and, and find it comfortable and, and gain momentum again. And now we're going to... So I call it high challenge support they're the best environments a higher challenge high support environment is one where i'm going to say we're going to try some stuff that's really difficult it might go wrong but don't worry because we're going to provide all the support you need to make sure that you're going to fail safely what would be other examples of of, the, of environments it would be low challenge low support there's no challenge and i'm not helping you it's boring high challenge low support it's too hard you're not helping me now i'm demotivated and we've probably all got images in our mind of being in those different types of environments so young children need to be in positions of high challenge high support you're going to fail but it's going to be okay the difficulty for parents is you never want to see your kids fail it's horrible i'm a parent you stand on touch lines or edge of swimming pools or the side of gymnasiums you don't want to see your kids fail but you've got to flip the narrative because that should be really exciting. It should be really exciting to see your kids struggle because that means we're getting somewhere. We're improving. We're, we're making progress. But it's, it's hard because you want to rescue. Parents want to rescue kids from learning situations too quickly. Leave them to it. That's your big thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, everywhere I look, I, I see helicopter parenting. Hovering around the children all the time. Solving any problems at school. Solving any problems with friends smoothing the path in front of them and then when they get to 21 they suddenly realize oh my child has no resilience so they go for their first job interview and they and they fail the job interview and while you're talking it reminds me of a story i have a friend who is a professional footballer his son is at an academy and he said to me today i was, I was absolutely furious he went all the way to wales and it didn't even come on and i called the club i said what is the point taking him all the way to wales spending a whole day on a coach doesn't even get on the pitch and play and I was like, yeah, you're right. I hope you... T now I'm sitting here thinking, hold on. As long as they supported the player in the right way, then it is this high challenge, high support environment. They've challenged the player. They said, look, this may well be your life, by the way. Because if you're a footballer, there could be seasons where you travel for hours and don't play. And then when you get called upon, you need to be ready. 
and just in this one short conversation it changes my it changes my outlook so what should we all be doing as parents because you have quite a a rigid opportunity to create this world you've got games of football you've got training you've got the changing room you've got a, an office right whereas as parents we've got them all over the place we've got them at school at home we've got them at the meal table we've got them in the morning when they're tired we've got them in the evening when they're tired we've got them at the weekend when they're excited it's how do we as parents create the best environment do you think for our young people to be challenged and supported at the same time so in the context of sport i think parents need to understand that the only measure of success can be and i'm going to use a john wooden quote the most successful college basketball coach of all time a man of principle won more things than anyone but never actually talked about winning so that goes back to the where I started, he had a higher existence than winning. He was about individual development, everyone improving every day, every week, every month, everyone being a better version of themselves today than they were yesterday. And the byproduct is winning. So that that's kind of a nice illustration of what I was talking about earlier in terms of the higher existence than the tangible thing that everyone thinks it is you're trying to achieve. But that's what you have to instill in your kids is this sense, the John Wooden quote, um, true success is peace of mind that you did everything you could within your power to be the best of which you're capable because i don't know how good your kids are going to be at football i've selected a lot of young people who have high potential but trying to assess potential is really difficult and sometimes where you get to will be limited by some things out of your control your athletic ability or some things in your genetic makeup so your only success can be to make sure that you did everything you could to be the best that you can be. So you've got to kind of try and instill that in young people. Parents have to understand that the journey is never linear, so be prepared for a world that isn't a straight line. And I think comparison is a... It, it cripples parents. Comparing your child to other people's children is a, is a no-no, because you can only ever be disappointed, right? So I've got a lovely back garden. My neighbour's got a bigger one doesn't mean my garden's not nice right so if you compare to other people there'll always always be someone who's got a bit more than you and you're left disappointed so in terms of trying to support young people you can only look at the individual their journey and the progress that they're making and how never do you in get comparison young people to other people not to compare in a world where that's all we do whether it's facebook or instagram or twitter or everywhere else as a coach the important thing is to park the team so the team for me is a vehicle for individual development i'm not interested in the team so young people need to be part of a team <clears throat> at the end of this journey they need to be ready to play in a competitive team in the toughest league in the world but along the way the team isn't the thing the individuals is the important thing so i've got to make sure that everything we talk about with young players with children is around individual development what is it you're trying to do to improve yourself how are you going to get better how are we doing compared to last week the team is just the vehicle to help you practice it isn't the be all and the end all i think that's that's essential that people understand that for young people developing a team sport is actually an individual sport some of the characteristics you've described here nick are, are about personal characteristics resilience the ability to handle setbacks and yet you're in an environment that prizes again technical expertise who's the fastest who's got the greatest technique so 
what would you say is the ratio for you as a as a developer of young talent in terms of focusing on those softer skills we'll call them the personal characteristics versus the harder skills that people can measure that show up on 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 stats so in terms of talent identification it's really important that we celebrate that talent looks completely different and each individual is a nice beautiful blend of their own unique qualities that's important so um, yeah ultimately I'm looking through a lens whereby football players are a combination of game understanding technical tactical ability athleticism and character you don't have to be good at all those things to be a, a top football it's a, a mixing deck of you can you can have weaknesses it's cool I take a strength based approach towards looking at young people and helping young people so what are you good at what are your super strengths how do we make you world class at your super strengths and how do we hide your weaknesses push push strengths hide weaknesses why because it's pretty demotivating to spend a lot of time dealing with things you're really not good at so let's spend enough time to paper over the cracks and hide those things but let's spend the majority of our time focusing on the thing that you're outstanding at and make you world class at it so in answer to your question talent is a combination of all those things as long as every individual's got an outstanding quality and a nice balance of some of those other things that kind of complement each other the thing we're really looking for is character so i've worked with loads of young players over the years tall ones short ones fast ones slow ones passers dribblers warriors all sorts the one thing that they all have in common is character so describe that breakdown what character means to you so i used to call it warrior spirit but i dropped the warrior because i think that has awful connotations so we might get onto this but i'm a big believer that in order to be the best at something you've got to be able to show vulnerability so if i ask you to be a warrior i'm asking you not to show vulnerability so i park the warrior i just call it spirit and what is spirit well it's ability to learn it's resilience it's an intrinsic drive to want to get better at something the rage to master it's intrinsic no parent can put that into someone we'll talk about that in a minute and it's a competitive fire without those things it doesn't matter how athletic you are or what techniques you've got you're going to find it really difficult to to play at the highest level i spent a lot of time particularly during lockdown with lots of access to former players at united and lots of spare time on their hands and we started to unpick come on what is it that, that a manchester united player has and the answer is well look you get to the Premier League, everyone's got some athleticism, everyone's got some technique, everyone's got some game sense. The non-negotiable is character. So tell us about those sessions, because as I say, I, I remember sort of being present for some of them where you had Gary Neville speaking to them, um, Ollie came on and spoke to the players. What were the common characteristics that they would talk about? How did they understand character? I guess they were looking at it through a very Manchester United lens, which is the biggest spotlight in the world you know the theater of dreams is the most unforgiving sport and arena in the world so they very much look at it as an ability to be able to be brave and deliver under pressure that was the the common thing and bravery looks different for everyone so for some people bravery is charging around putting in tackles but for other people bravery is keep giving me the ball even though we're losing even though the crowd are on our back and that would have been the, the common theme, really, from chatting to the likes of Nicky Butt, Paul yeah. Scholes, was to play at the top level. Character is, is everything. So 
if we go back to your earlier questions, how do you develop character? How do you develop resilience? Well, it's lots of little micro doses of finding stuff hard along the way. If I can expose you to lots of little struggles and traumas, things that are a bit too difficult, things that might go wrong, you build those qualities, you build resilience and you build the ability to learn and you build. So if we talk about parents who rescue too quickly, when you rescue kids from a difficult situation, you're basically saying, I'm taking that learning opportunity away from you. I'm going to solve the problem for you. Whereas if you just leave them to it, it's an amazing opportunity. So not getting picked or driving to Wales to not play, not pleasant, not nice. I wouldn't advise that someone experiences that every week. But if you experience it once, it's a learning experience. How are we going to deal with it? What sort of conversation could you have with the coach at your next training session about the experience you've just had? If you do get on the pitch, how are you going to behave? How are you going to warm up like a world-class player? All those types of things. It's a great opportunity rather than, as you say, helicopter parents diving in, rescuing their kids from a difficult situation. When you rescue them from a difficult situation, all you're doing is depriving them of a, of a learning experience. So do you create the friction and the challenge for these young people or do you just allow life in the academy at Manchester United to present those moments? It's a little bit of both. So um, talent development's messy and by coincidence things will crop up that are unexpected that coaches and players will not be expecting and we've got to work through it together. But actually my job really is to create on a regular basis challenge. So playing kids up an age group or if we've got a group of boys that are highly talented, how do I go and find a tougher opposition for them to play? How do I find a world where they're going to lose? How do I find an opportunity for you as an individual? So you're a centre forward. I've got to hunt down the best central defender for you to play against. I've got to find the defender that's better than you because that's the only way that you're going to learn. But it's a healthy balance because if you only ever experience challenge, it can become demotivating. Regular failure isn't very helpful. So it needs to be that healthy balance of opportunity to thrive at times and express yourself and at other times opportunities where it's a little bit too difficult, which is what used to happen by accident when we were kids. You play in the playground, you're the best player. Play in your street, my next door neighbour's bigger than me, he's better than me. Play in the back garden, I've got an older brother, he's going to make it tough. Play for the county team, hmm, it's getting a bit tricky and you might have one session a week with the pro club now, it's really hard. So you naturally used to get that kind of lovely mixture of experiences and the variety of contest the variety of challenge a lot of that's disappeared now hasn't it those that old structure of how sport used to look doesn't exist anymore so we've got to recreate it you know i have to try and rec recreate that within the academy the variety of experience the struggles and the and the opportunity to to find it easy as well well then how do you deal with the time that they're not with you do you see what i mean because i think for a lot of the kids that come in like you go up that big driveway to carrington you're surrounded by like opulence if you like and all these symbols that you've made it you're elite you're already well along the pathway of being successful what I've, and then i hear that you're creating that environment where they're being challenged there but what about when they're back home where 
the family and their friends think, oh, he's a Manchester United footballer. I see him wearing the kit. I've heard that, that you know, there's already agents sniffing around him. How do you give them like the vitamins and the minerals to cope outside of that environment where you don't get to structure it so much? I have to celebrate the time that they're not with us. So if you think about the terminology we use around talent systems, we create this the imagery of it being a factory. So we talk about the production of players, the conveyor belt, the pipeline. And so as soon as you paint the picture of um, talent development is a factory setting, I make some assumptions that I'm in control. I will teach the child. I will show them. I will tell them all the information that they can ever need. I have. I'll give it to them when I think they're ready for it. And that the only place that they can ever develop is with me in my factory. If you think about ecosystems and how animals or humans develop, you've got a, a human bouncing around many different environments and from each environment, they pinch a little piece of learning. Yeah, so the environment shapes the person. Yeah. You bump into people or you face different experiences and that shapes you, so it's an ecosystem. So I have to be brave enough to allow the kids to spend and encourage the kids to spend time away from me. So I can show you some stuff here, but if you're self-driven and if you have a dream and you're determined, when you're not with me, you're going to go and bounce around all that. You're going to go and play with your mates. You're going to play with another sport. You're going to bump into a PE teacher. You're going to hang out with your uncle or your brother. And I've got to allow the kids to bounce around the ecosystem. And learning has to come from the learner, not the teacher. So you've got to be self-driven. So if you think about how you guys became experts, if I were to say... Who produced you? So we talk about in football, don't we? We produced player X, Y. Well, who produced you? Well, are you going to give me the name of an organisation or the name of an individual? You're not, are you? are going to say, how did I get where I got to? Well, I went on a course and I met an inspirational person and uh, I did a bit of work experience and you you just collected. Yeah. Saw the evidence, different things along the way. Yeah. But it was you that drove it. It was. It came from within. So that probably goes back to talent ID. I've got to find players who are driven from within. And so when they're not with us at the academy, they are using that intrinsic drive to pinch information, to collaborate, to find bits of wisdom from wherever they are. But also the important thing is this can't become professional too soon. So this has to be an authentic childlike experience. So I've got to encourage them to go and play other sports and mess around with their mates and go to birthday parties and be a normal kid, right? It can't be professional because if it gets professional too soon, it gets boring really quickly. If it gets professional too soon, we miss out on childhood. If it gets professional too soon, we reach burnout. We've got to go slow. We've got to look like authentic childhood experiences. So when you're 9 and 10 with us, you've got to mess around, you've got to experiment, you've got to fall in love with the ball, you've got to fall in love with Man United, but you've got to try bicycle kicks, make mistakes, and you'll not find an overbearing coach instructing and fixing. And No, it's trial and error, mess around, be creative. And as we go through the journey, we'll start to add bits in, and it will look a little bit more professional, and we might introduce you to a sports scientist along the way, and there might be a nutritionist arrive, and we might talk about tactics, but you don't get all that at the beginning. And that's maybe a fault with parents sometimes as they want all of that at the beginning of the journey. And we've got to go slow. My job is to hold stuff back. How do I make the journey inspirational and aspirational? How do I make sure that it remains as childlike as possible for as long as possible? Because 
authentic childhood experiences actually are probably going to give you a greater chance of developing skill than a than a coach-led environment but also i've got the moral obligation of i to make sure this is as fun as possible and it enriches your life and you make a load of mates and you have a really good time so it's it's the yin and yang of those two things small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks crannies edges and curves without worrying about drips runs uneven coverage or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at I find the desire conversation an interesting one. So we had exactly this conversation last night, my wife and I, about creating, trying to create more desire in Florence to do her homework. <laughs> she just, you know, it's just not there at the moment. So can we create it? Is it something that will never be there? Do we have to be patient and wait for it and allow it to find itself naturally? I would suggest so. So I'd encourage parents to help their kids explore early on. Try as much stuff as you can and find the thing that excites you and then maybe we can invest some time in that. Quite often with football, parents want their kids to get excited by football because it's the thing that they're excited by. So sometimes kids are playing football not because it's the thing that excites them, it's because the thing that their family is prepared to support them with. But I think it's about exploring, trying stuff out, sampling finding the thing that excites you because you can't put drive into someone it has to come from within and maybe with regards to homework and things like that it's actually the process of dealing with the consequences of not doing your homework is the thing that teaches you that you need to do your homework yeah. not a parent saying you need to do your homework it's the process of well i didn't do it and i ended up in detention and i missed drama club because I was in detention and my mates were all having a great time. It's the consequence. So you've got to be brave enough as parents to let your kids mess up. Let them touch the hot plate. That's the only way that you know that you shouldn't touch the hot plate is you burn your hand, right? you got to be... It's hard to do. And as I say, as a parent, you want to jump in quickly and solve all the problems, but well, you can't. Well, tell us about how you get your coaches to buy into this mindset as well, Nick, because I can imagine that as a coach at Manchester United, you've got like this desire that you wouldn't be successful you wouldn't be the guy on the touchline 
watching your team lift the trophy like you did recently with the with the FA Youth Cup. So how do you get them to buy into this idea of let's accept it's going to be messy, let's not worry about winning the trophies, let's go slow when we need to? I have to treat the coaches the same as I would the players. Enough space and time to experiment and explore and do stuff that sometimes goes wrong that you can reflect upon, refine, fix and do it differently further down the line. They're practising as well, right? The same as the players are. I've got to allow them to accumulate craft knowledge, which is time on the pitch, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of interactions with kids and work out through those interactions which ones are successful, which ones are not successful. It's, the only, it's how I got to where I am is by getting it really badly wrong at the beginning. So my first ever job would have been with the nine-year-olds at, at Watford and I had a team and I generally thought it was a team and I spent a lot of time on tactics and I was trying to win at the weekends and I was getting really excited for myself that my team was winning and then it's not until that group of nine-year-olds are 20 that you can look back and go oh, actually my approach I didn't help them because I was concentrating on the team which meant some kids weren't playing and the time I dedicated to tactics I was missing out on the real fundamentals of ball mastery but also I learned that, you know, the best kid in that under-9s team, I released him and he went on to play Premier League football. And the kid that I thought was uh, really good had got bored by the age of 11 and dropped out. So I had to have a create the wrong environment for a group of nine-year-olds in order to know how to create the right environment further down the line. So, you know, Eddie Jones was fascinating on this when we had him on the podcast, wasn't he? Because we touched on this area about, about coaching and he bemoaned the fact that too many schools employ coaches rather than teachers to do that because he felt that coaches were focused on winning and the tactics and the mistakes you described with Watford under nines, whereas teachers were invested more in the process of learning and challenging and supporting them. So what are the best tips and ideas that you can share with listeners here that maybe work with young kids, whether it's on a Sunday football team or whether it's in other activities, that actually facilitates the child's journey to their own definition of high performance. So if you're a novice coach at the weekends, and usually you're railroaded into taking a team, aren't you? Because you've got a pair of football boots and your lad's in the team, so you end up taking it. If you don't know what you're doing, accept that you don't know what you're doing, have a match and make sure everyone gets a go. And it's as simple as that. Put the kids into as many game-like situations as you possibly can, give them loads of repetitions, let them have a go, Catch kids doing things right. I think that's so important. So don't worry about mistakes. Catch kids doing things right. Praise things that go well. Be supportive. Be encouraging. And if you're not sure what you're doing, don't try and do too much. Kids want to play football. Let them play. And based on this approach of empathy and allowing mistakes and not focusing on results and being patient and understanding the young people in your charge, who do you look upon as the as the poster boy for what you've done and it's been successful okay so i think it's really important one of my golden rules is i can never claim who i've helped develop that's for them to decide whether i help them or not all right and you help different individuals in different ways so with Jaden sancho i'm not so sure i ever helped him technically or tactically or athletically but what we did do is by chance allowed him the opportunity 
to stay residentially at our training ground. This is Watford. Ha- yeah, yeah, Watford. So at Watford, we had a, a school and a training centre all on the same site, and the school had built a small boarding house, and we had there was two bedrooms dedicated to Watford, and the school said, "Would we kindly fund those two rooms?" So we said yes. And now we've got two rooms, and I don't know what to do with them. Jaden Sancho lives the furthest away, so I'm thinking that room would be quite useful to limit the amount of travel he has to do. So Jaden, I've got a room. Mum, Dad, what do you think, Jaden? Do you want to stay in this room on a residential basis? And he did too. And it was by chance. And it was the thing that supported him more than anything else. Why do I make that point? Well, I make that point because every child needs something different from you. Some need some tactical help. Some need you to help them with their confidence some need you to buy them a pair of boots some need you to put a roof over their head but at the end of the day only they can tell you whether you were the one that helped them or not it's not for me to decide whether i was that guy but i'm interested that like yours and Jaden's careers have brought you to the same place now manchester united so when you talk to him about that period and that decision to give him that residential space how does he remember it what does he say he gained from it uh, he was petrified, he didn't enjoy it, he was homesick, but he knew that it was the right thing for him to do because he had a dream. Mm. And he remembers it being really hard and really difficult. And so it goes back to... The same thing we discussed the same at thing. the beginning, yeah. He didn't, uh, but did it sow a seed in Jaden that made him brave enough to leave Watford to go to Manchester City and brave enough to go from Manchester City to... Dortmund maybe had an early life experience of trying something really hard and going it's okay that wasn't too bad it was difficult but I got through it and I can see how it has benefited me and my development maybe it just sowed the seed for I'm going to be the guy that moves to Germany to propel my career and I do I think that's that's the beauty of finding your way through adversity is it teaches you that you can do it again you can face up to something that looks a little bit like that somewhere further down the line. And I'm well aware that you've just said that you don't like to claim the credit you allow the player to decide. But who of all the players you've worked with has given you the biggest sense of satisfaction? Either things were a real challenge, um, they'd had difficulties at other clubs, or there was a period where it looked like it was never going to happen, then it did. Probably the players that you'll never have heard of that never, ever emerged as a, as a footballer. So my, my vocation in life is helping young people. And the byproduct of helping young people is some will make debuts. But I've got, and I, I, I truly believe that at the, the heart of coaching is connection and love, all right? In order to help someone be good at something that's really difficult, we've got to have absolute trust, have absolute connection, and there has to be love. And that you don't turn that off just because someone leaves your football club. So that, that love goes on. And some of my greatest kind of satisfactions are in boys that, yeah, I had a great time. The journey was amazing. I didn't become a footballer, but the stuff that I've learned, the memories I have, the connections I made have set me up for life in other walks of life. And it's the boys that you bump into in the Trafford Centre that run towards you with a smile on their face, give you great satisfaction. I use that as a measure of my success. If if you're in a shopping centre and boys that you've worked with walk by and they don't want to look at you you've not done a great job if they smile and they want to have a chat 
it means the connection is still there. So it's it's boys that have gone on to be teachers, boys that have gone on to be coaches, boys that have uh, have achieved away from the world of football are often uh, as much or more satisfaction than those that are playing the Premier League. And they're also the boys who've had to be given that difficult news that, listen, you're not going to make it as a professional footballer. What advice would you give to people for for how to deliver that kind of news in in the best way possible? Feedback in general yeah. has to have three ingredients. It's got to be honest, it's got to be helpful, it's got to be kind. Now, ideally, what you need to be doing is giving regular doses of feedback so the the gap between the feedback doesn't mean that feedback comes as a shock. So as long as feedback is regular, honest, helpful, kind, you're not going to go too far wrong. The important thing about a boy when, when he reaches the end of the journey, he needs to know that he was given every opportunity to be the best he could be. He needs to be able to say, I had a go, I got lots of opportunities on the pitch my coach was invested me in me um, I was given a chance to be the best I could be and then as long as the feedback along the way is honest helpful and kind I think that the majority of young people that you work with appreciate that and I think you have to be brave enough to have difficult conversations in the short term to avoid real conflict in the long term so it's about dealing in short-term discomfort to avoid long-term dysfunction i don't want to have that conversation it's going to be really difficult it's going to be quite challenging we've all had it right dealing with staff in pdr meetings or one-to-one or i really don't want that conversation but i need to address an issue i need to have the conversation that's going to be uncomfortable i really want to avoid the discomfort of that conversation but if you have to meet the discomfort of those conversations headlong to avoid long-term dysfunction if it's your organization you miss enough of those conversations you're going to have a dysfunctional organization with young people feeding back on their performance if you shy away from the difficult conversation in the short term you're going to create dysfunction for the individual in the long term i.e feeling of dissatisfaction feeling that they were let down a feeling that you know i want to know whether you're swimming against the tide here though because when i when i think about academies and youth teams and football in general i think historically of very masculine environments probably a decent bit of bullying you know making people stand up and sing to be part of the gang and embarrassing them until they're involved in the group all of those sort of traditional stereotypes that we've attached to football over the years and and that's not about youth teams that's that was football generally wasn't it 20 years ago how many youth teams across the country are doing what manchester united are doing do you think I think the game's changed. I think that um, it's probably time that academies started standing up for themselves a little bit. They are amazing places that enrich people's lives with wonderful coaches doing wonderful things. Do things sometimes go wrong? Occasionally, yes. Do kids make debuts? Occasionally, yes. The majority of the kids are having amazing experiences that are changing their lives forever and for the better and are propelling them into a world of adult life that is going to mean they're a success because of the experiences that they had. I definitely know that those types of behaviours went on many years ago. I think academies have been reformed in terms of the resource that we now invest, the teams of experts, psychologists, education teams, welfare teams, player care. the, The young people in our care now have such a robust 
support network of pastoral care that I truly believe that, you know, we are probably across all sports now where there's more resource in football than in any other sport. I would I would argue that football is probably ahead of the curve. And I would argue as well that there's stuff that goes off at football clubs that won't happen at schools in terms of I won't, aftercare. For well, in terms of aftercare. I don't, do you remember your school ringing you up after you, you left? See how you were? It didn't happen, did it? <laughs> football clubs, I think, have got the amount of informal education programs that are going off using the football as a vehicle to teach young people about social media and mental health it's it's incredible the yeah. amount can of we work talk about the mental health capacity i i know stuart weberwell who's the director of football at, at norwich and he he asked me to go and um host an event for the parents of the young players and the message he gave out which i thought was really smart he said look you're all sitting here now believing your son is going to be the next first team player at norwich city all the things that make your son potentially a good footballer, the dedication, the hard work, the attention to detail, at times the obsessiveness, the sort of real deep-seated desire to make it, all of those things are also apparent in people with mental health problems. And you won't want to hear this, but there is a greater chance that your dedicated, laser-focused young man is more likely to be on a path to mental health issues than some other young people. So what do you do to keep an eye on that? How do you recognise it and how do you deal with it? First and foremost, it's having an awareness that the UK is one of the most unhappy places to live in Europe. Mental health issues are on the rise in young people and particularly in boys. So I know that I'm working with a, a, a cross-section of the population where there is great risk. Growing up is hard work. Being a young man is a real challenge. So we have to have staff that are aware and we have to have staff that are skilled in dealing with all the issues that potentially could present themselves to us a very first line of defense is about having all staff trained up and qualified to be able to understand what mental health first aid looks like i.e how can you recognize signs but then it's about having robust systems in place to make sure that if there is any nervousness around an issue that a young person's facing that we can make sure that we get them the right support at the right time. The biggest challenge is that sport in general, football in particular, encourages you to be brave and, you know, puff yep. your chest out Stiff and, up a and be macho and not show weakness. I talk about silence voices a lot. In order for my coach to pick me, I got to show him the things I think that are on his invisible checklist of things that might get me in his team and that's probably not showing weakness and it's about kind of being a 24 7 pro and 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 making sacrifice we use that type of language right you gotta be a 24 7 pro make sacrifices um and all those types and so we create a world where we're asking kids to conform to some of that stuff where's the space for vulnerability where's the space for being an authentic version of yourself. So I think a lot of mental health issues derive from people not being able to be an authentic version of themselves. So potentially the exchange there of me getting picked for your team means I've got to present to you that I'm someone that I'm not. So in terms of swimming against the tide, I think the work that we're doing at Manchester United and that I'm really proud of is we're trying to make it normal to talk about mental health issues we're trying to make it okay to share weakness we're trying to make it okay 
to be And how do you vulnerable. create that vulnerable environment? Are you vulnerable at work? Yeah. I, and I think that's part of your role as a leader, is if you can show your own vulnerabilities and weaknesses and insecurities, then the people around you will do the same and there's a, a ripple effect. So I think that's absolutely essential, that as a leader you can demonstrate. So give us an example of that, Nick. How do you do it? Um, I will quite often tell my immediate staff when I don't know the solution to the challenge that we're faced with. Guys, are, we're faced with this really difficult issue. I don't know the answers and I'm nervous and I'm scared and I need your help. That's an okay conversation for me to have with the team around me because I trust them. And I think if I can do that to my immediate staff, they can do that to the young people that they're then associated with. So I think that is absolutely a, you know, imperative that you have to you have to model the behaviours that you expect everyone else in your organisation to be able to demonstrate. I think it's about language change at times. We've got to make sure that we're really... I mentioned briefly earlier about I used to call it warrior spirit. I just call it spirit now because I think the warrior gives off the wrong connotations. I'm asking you to be a gladiator. When just spirit will do. So just subtle changes of language is really important. And then there's some more overt stuff. So we... We've recently had a month of mental health awareness, which is where staff, players, parents, other clubs, we just got together and engaged in a month of activities that encouraged us all to talk, share, explore, listen to people's stories, look at some of our role and what's emerging, what's... It, it, I was about to say what's wonderful. It's not wonderful, <laughs> but, but the, the, the repercussions are wonderful. As we're seeing some iconic performers who've achieved wonderful things retrospectively share with us mm. some of the turmoil that they were going through. And I think that that helps young people to role model and, and understand that it's okay to, to struggle. So I saw that recently you had Harry Maguire take on the role of being um, like the champion for mental health with the academy what sort of messages is he giving to those young players then he will have given our boys a lot of the sort of messages that that i've given today it's a look at harry Maguire's journey was it linear no what did he have five clubs before he lands in the premier league i think that a, a lot of parents and young people are wired up to want to be the exception to the rule actually harry Maguire's journey is the common journey and perhaps the one that we all need to and not just harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah. i often look at the the england squad if you look at any starting 11 you start to unravel all the journeys they're fascinating there's kids that have been released from football clubs and emerged somewhere else there's lads that have come through non-league football there's boys that have not been picked early on in their careers and have had to not make their debuts till they're 22 so harry would have just shared his experiences his own personal journey and from that boys can start to identify and, and role model. So in your career, Nick, you, you mentioned you started at Watford and Graham Taylor was the manager at the time when you were there and then you went to Sheffield United before moving across to Manchester United. So you've served under lots of head coaches in your career. Who have been the best ones at creating that transition from your work with those young players into then helping them make that transition into senior football? And what is it they did? I was really lucky to work with some amazing folk. I think luck plays a, a big part in success. You've got to make your luck, but it has to come your way. So at Watford, I was privileged. Graham Taylor, Aidy Boothroyd, Sean Dyche, Malcolm Mackay, Brendan Rogers. I was surrounded by experts. 
and so on a daily basis. I was uncomfortable because when you're surrounded by people who are really good, who you're in awe of, you've got to be on your game, haven't you, on a daily basis. So that was an amazing learning experience for me. Sean Dyche, I would suggest, as a youth team coach at Watford, um, was one of the, the best youth team coaches I've worked with. Why? Well, I suspect, and he never articulated it, but I suspect he knew he was preparing himself to be a manager, but he never let that show. He was wholeheartedly dedicated to development of young people and never put his own personal journey ahead of the individual's journey, which I think is a real quality. For him to know that I'm on a journey and I want to develop some skills and I've got my own aspirations and desires, but at no point did he ever put his ego ahead of what the young people were doing. Um, what did he do for those boys in that youth team? Um, I suggest what he did was paint a, a wonderful picture of what the next bit looks like because he only just finished playing so he was great at articulating the next bit's going to look like this and therefore I'm going to help you shape some skills that are going to prepare you for, for the next bit. He was outstanding but he, he was all the things I was talking about. He, he gave boys opportunity. He didn't pick the same 11 every week. You're playing in FA Youth Cup games and he knew it was his duty to make sure he got as many of them on the pitch as possible because playing in the FA Youth Cup either will prepare you for a career in football, but if it doesn't, it's going to be an amazing memory that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. So he approached the job with all of the morals that potentially he shared with you when when you spoke to him a while back. Yeah, Brilliant. We've reached the point of our quick-fire questions. So we always start with the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you need to buy into. What have you got for us? Can I indulge myself here? Have a few more and also talk about the process of how I get there. So um, at Manchester United right now, we've got five non-negotiables. Now the importance of the five non-negotiables is I didn't create them. So I think there's lots of non-negotiables in terms of um, you've got to work hard and I want you to be respectful. And do you know what? That gets boxed off in terms of appointing good members of staff. You go through that bit there. And there's lots of negotiables in terms of how many hours you need to work and what's your job description. That gets boxed off by the HR department. In terms of high performance, if you've got a group of people together, no point me giving you the non-negotiables. You've got to work them out for yourself because then you'll police them and you'll own them and they'll be yours and you'll protect them with your life. So at Manchester United, we spent a lot of time with the staff, with the players, workshopping what behaviours are important, what, what values are important to you. And we came up with five words that, that spell out, is it an acronym, spell out the word baton. We're carrying the baton of Jimmy Murphy from... Billion. All right. So... Forefathers of youth development, go back to Munich, Matt Busby, handed on the baton. So B A T O N. We've got to be brave. We've got to be adaptable, together, optimistic. And the N stood for nobody else but us and no other time but now. So that's the whole concept that a lot of people can moan that mm, I don't like the culture of this place. You have to accept that you are the culture. So we have to remind ourselves, nobody else but us, and no other time but now. Are they your five as well? I think your non-negotiables changed based on the people, your organisation, and the task at hand. So right now they are, and I have to live and breathe those. 
Were they different at Watford? Were they different at Sheffield United? Absolutely. But you've got to know your organisation. You've got to know what it is you're trying to achieve and you've got to know the task at hand. So, yeah, I have to live and breathe those five. If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? Hmm. I've got a short memory. I'll go back two weeks to an FA Youth Cup final. <laughs> so, uh, under-18s, played at Old Trafford, FA Youth Cup final. The FA Youth Cup final has great history. Manchester United have won it more than anyone else. They won the first five. Duncan Edwards, Bobby Charlton, George Best have all lifted that trophy. Class of 92. Uh, we haven't won it since 2011. That group of boys managed to win it, uh, the class of 22. Um, but it wasn't the victory. It was the fact that it was a, a beautiful byproduct of a season's worth of individuals improving. And then the backdrop of 67,000 fans turned up, which reminds us that youth is at the centre of everything Manchester United does. Youth saw or has seen Manchester United through its darkest days and its greatest days. So youth got us through Munich and youth is what's seen us win Champions League. So it was a nice reminder that local people, 67,000 people wanted to turn up to see the youth of the day. And it was a, an amazing event and no other club could have put on a night like that in terms of a record crowd. And I don't think it will ever be seen again. What advice would you give that teenage Nick just starting out? There's three things I work on. One is daring greatly, and I think I'm quite good at that. So it's being brave to stick yourself in the arena. Uh, the other is connection. I'm okay at that. I'm trying to get better. But I think a lot of high-performing people are perfectionists, and they strive um, often for the impossible, and we forget to be kind to ourselves. And I think it's so important that you have to stop, be kind to yourself, and celebrate small wins. And so... The advice I would give to myself would simply be, keep going, you're doing all right, it's going to be okay, well done. Nice. And finally, your kind of last message really for people that have listened to this brilliant episode of High Performance, your one golden rule for living a high performance life. Find the thing that excites you and go for it in a wholehearted fashion. Love it. Listen, such a great conversation for for parents of children who are obsessed with football and both my son and daughter dream about it all the time i listen to you talk and i watch the way that you have that fire in your eyes when you not when you're talking about football or football results but when you're talking about young people and i look at it and think i'd be perfectly happy for my kids to be under your care at manchester united so really interesting yeah i'm reminded of a conversation we had with bob baxter the exeter chiefs coach who asked the question during his first five years as a coach, would I be happy for my children to come and work in this environment? And he was very honest to say, first five years, he'd have answered no. But the self-awareness changed his whole coaching approach. And he said until he could get to a place where he would be happy to answer that. And I think the best compliment I can pay you, Nick, is that I'd be happy for my children to come into the environment that you oversee. And I can't pay a higher testimony to you than that. Thank you. Listen, as always, huge thanks to you for growing, for sharing, for spreading this podcast among your community. Please continue to spread the learnings you're taking from this series. Big thanks to Finn from Rethink Audio, to Hannah, to Will, to Eve, to Gemma. And please remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. 
Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you very soon. <laughs>